And here in Acts 7, remember Stephen, this beautiful, beautiful man by the name of Stephen, how the early church, when there was this beef that arose in the church, there was um, in, in chapter 6, Verse 1 says that the widows were neglected in the daily distribution. There was a little bit of segregation happening in the church. Favoritism. And the disciples says in verse 2 of chapter 6, they say, Hey, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. But then they say, Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Such is the case with this fellow by the name of Stephen. One of the most beautiful men I've ever read about in Holy Scripture. And, you know, all these attributes that, you know, good reputation or a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there because it also says here that he's... That he's... When he's confronted... When he's confronted, they're not able to resist the wisdom that he has and the spirit by which he spoke. That's from chapter 6, verse 10. He's confronted by these people. I think it's very powerful to consider and know that when you stand for Jesus Christ, I don't mean, when I say stand for Jesus Christ, the English doesn't do it justice. I mean like stand When everybody says, hey, let's go get drunk. Hey, let's go do sexual things. Hey, let's go get high. Let's do these things. Let's cuss like crazy. And you're just like, nope, I'm not going to do it. You go and do it, but I'm not going to do that. When you make these stands for Jesus Christ. Opposition shouldn't be a surprise. In fact, we can expect it as Christians. And if you remember what our Lord teaches us, he tells us in chapter in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, he says, But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. This is a supernatural thing. Intellect, logic can't explain these things. Can't understand these things because they are supernaturally discerned. They are discerned by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people say, you know, the moving of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. That was for that time period. And I say, where in the Bible does it show that there's an expiration date on the moving of the Holy Spirit? Show me. Show me in the Bible. A lot of times what I see that's very popular today is people people are applying intellect and logic to a supernatural book. And there's a disconnect. It's like, you know, you take a glass of water and you put some oil in it and it's like it's immiscible. You can stir it all you want, but it's not going to mix. The oil is going to just float at the top. It's immiscible. But what's so powerful is when you, you know, you take, you know, logic and intellect, they're a beautiful, beautiful servant. But a very, very, very dangerous master. 
And I love Stephen so much because he's confronted. He's confronted with with a bunch of liars. In chapter 6, verse 13 says they also set up false witnesses. They started to lie about him. And so all of a sudden, remember in chapter chapter 6, verse 15, says his face was like the face of an angel. And then now in chapter 7, verse 1, the high priest says to Stephen, Stephen, are these things so? And where we looked at last week in our study last week, you start to see Stephen, he opens his mouth. In the fulfillment of what we read in Matthew 10, it's not him speaking necessarily. It's his vocal cords. It's his teeth. It's his tongue. It's his voice that's coming out of his mouth. But it's the words of the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking to the learned class. The religious establishment. It would be the equivalent. Say, for example, if you're you're sitting in a classroom. And you have a professor who has a doctorate in whatever. And you have nothing. And then all of a sudden, you're the one who's educating the so-called learned. That's what Stephen is doing. And where we ended our study last week, you know, he's giving a little dissertation. It's kind of like a mini Bible is what he's doing. And you could say, well, you know, is this second hand, third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand? You know, what's the degree of separation? There's zero degrees of separation. You say, what do you mean zero degrees of separation? Because the Holy Spirit all through, you know, the Old Testament, Genesis to Revelation, it's the Holy Spirit who's speaking. He's giving him words to say. And so look at this. You know, He's giving an account of Moses now in this little dissertation to the learned class. He's speaking about Moses. Remember, these are adherents to Moses. Jesus Christ, when he was confronted by the Pharisees and they thought they were so hardcore. They say, you know what? We're hardcore. We believe in Moses. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, how can you believe in Moses? The words of Moses when Moses wrote about me. You can't understand the things that I say because you don't even understand Moses. Moses wrote about me. And, you know, it blows me away so much because the, letter, the adherents to the letter of the law were being schooled by a guy who was speaking in terms of the spirit of the law. And so now he's continuing his dissertation about Moses in chapter 7, verse 22, where we left off last week. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. This learned is to be educated and trained up in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. I think it is so powerful to consider the worldly knowledge that Moses had. He had this sense of worldly knowledge. But then at some point in his life, he denied it to the knowledge of God. That's not to say that, okay, you know, you might have a a certain degree of knowledge and all of a sudden you take it and throw it in the trash. It's to say, take that knowledge and dethrone it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His Holy Word. Just look at things like, Harvard or Oxford or Cambridge, 
and you hit the rewind button and you look at the founders, maybe 10 years into this founding. And a lot of it was like you see these writings of, you know, how they wanted to educate the world in, in classical Christian education, Judeo-Christian values. And you read it and you look at all these seminaries, Fuller Theological Seminary. You look at all these Bible college and you look at the founding of these things and you're like, wow, this is so beautiful. Even the Methodists. John Wesley. It's like, wow, this is so beautiful. But then what happened? What in the world happened? The world. The world started to come in. Look at Fuller Theological Seminary now. Look at the Methodist church now. You see a cross on the door. You walk in, you sit in the pews, and you see a cross on the pulpit. But what's being taught? Not the word. And, you know, it's such a trip because this is how Moses was. Learned. He had this worldly knowledge, except, you know, he denied it to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And, you know, in our study on Wednesdays, how we study through the book of Exodus, and we're almost at its closing now. You see how the trust that Moses had grew. It's not just to say like straight up, you know, you take this knowledge and you throw it in the trash. It's to say, okay, take this knowledge, take this logic, take this intellect, dethrone it to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, have you ever been in a swimming pool? And you see your swimming pool and you take a little child who's not in the pool with you and you say, hey, baby girl, hey, my son, jump, I'm going to catch you. And you see the little terror in his eyes, terror in her eyes. And then all of a sudden they take that leap of faith and sure enough, you caught them. They're not drowning. You caught them. They got their little water wings on. And they're having the time of their life. And the same thing applies with our Lord. It's like, baby girl, I'm going to catch you. My son, I'm going to catch you. And you see that in the life of Moses, this trust. And you see this intimacy that Moses and the Lord has. And it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Look at verse 23, what is written here. Actually, he's still in verse 22, that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. He wasn't just an Egyptian per se. Remember, at this particular moment, it was, he, it was unknown to him that he was Hebrew. But he was still learned and mighty in the words and deeds of the Egyptians and their wisdom. In verse 23, now, when he was 40 years old, I think that's so important because, you know, I talk to a lot of people and they always refer to their glory days, their so-called glory days. You might talk to a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old like, oh, yeah, when I did this, when I was in high school, I played football or when I was 20, I had this killer job. And man, those were my glory days. But for the Christian, for the believer, our glory days are ahead of us. It's this moment today, here and now, where we're being trained up in the things of the Lord and the things that He has for us. 
And Stephen is speaking to the learned class about these things. Deep, deep, deep spiritual things that aren't captured in the letter of the law. Remember the indictment that Jesus Christ had to the adherence to the letter of the law. He called them blind guides. Blind leading the blind. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been lost before. But if I was ever lost, I wouldn't want to hold on to the hand of a blind guy. The same thing applies spiritually with our walk with the Lord. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart. I think it's kind of, I got a little smirk, you know, whenever I think about this. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Remember, Moses is well acclimated to Egypt in all their wisdom. He was mighty in words and deeds. And then all of a sudden, something comes into his heart. In our study, in, when you read Exodus, in our studies, as we saw on, you know, in our Wednesday studies, you see the account in Exodus and you have, you know, Moses was born. Then you have, you know, when Moses was three months old. And then all of a sudden it jumps to when Moses is 40 years old. That's a pretty big gap. But, you know, date of birth, you know, the three month account and then 40 years old. You could almost say, you know, there's a 40 year gap. What about in my life and your life? Whenever you question the handiwork of the Lord, Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? I have this problem in my life, but where are you? And I'm going to say something and I never, ever, ever want you to forget. Sear it on your mind. Bind it on your heart. If there's ever a moment when, you're, when you ask of the Lord, Lord, where are you? Remember Moses. That's it. That's all I, I ask that you sear on your mind. Remember Moses. Because he's born, you have the three-month account, and then, boom, at age 40, something came into his heart. The Lord's not done. You know, I'm just barely over that precipice of 40. There's going to be times in your life where you wonder, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And, Lord willing, something would be seared in your mind where you, you remember Moses. And I think this is so powerful because you start to see and understand, wait a second, Lord, how? I, maybe I shouldn't say understand. Maybe it's better if I say, this is a cheesy way of saying it, but appreciate and value what the Lord is doing in your life today. What the Lord is doing in your life right here and now. Maybe what he's done in the last five years. Training you, preparing you. And then it says in verse 24, And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. You know, we have this account in the book of Exodus. It kind of makes you wonder like, wow, what was this thing that the Lord put on his heart? What is this thing that the Lord put on the heart of Moses? 
And you see that when Moses defended this particular Hebrew, that he defended and avenged him who was oppressed, and you think this is something that's right in his own eyes. It reminds me of me. Because you could look at a wrong, you could look at some form of oppression, and then apply your own intellect and logic to that situation. Wow, I'm going to avenge this person. I'm going to defend this person. It's not to say that it's right or wrong one way or the other, but it's to say, take a step, step back and say, Lord, what, what's happening? What would you have me do, Lord? In verse 25, for he supposed or assumed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. Very interesting. So what is this thing that God planted in the heart of Moses? Remember in verse 23, it came into his heart. And so all of a sudden here in verse 25, he supposed or assumed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. Very interesting when you see what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Brother Stephen. These are things that aren't captured in Exodus. These are things that aren't captured in Leviticus in Numbers. These are things that are not captured in the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law, and I say capital S, is speaking loud and clear. And he's showing us these things. He's illuminating these things. Deep, deep, deep spiritual things. From the Torah. The law. That's, the, that's why, you know, if your heart, in your heart, it's better for your heart to be clay than it is to be a rock. You know, soft clay. I mean, for example, if you take a rock, pick up a rock from the ground, and you take a, a popcorn, popcorn kernel, and you throw it at the rock that's in your hand, it's going to bounce off and fall to the ground. But what if you take some clay that's really, really soft, and you take a, the same popcorn kernel, and you throw it, it's going to stick right on it. That's logic and intellect. That's when it's like that rock. You know, you take this, the kernel, you throw it, and boom, it's going to bounce right off. I'm not trying to say that those things are inherently bad. But what I am trying to say is, you know, it's much better to be the clay. Because the things can stick. These, these, all these little seeds can stick and take root. These things, remember, Moses at age 40, this... I don't want to say this thing, but this little seed was planted in his heart. And Moses, having no idea, what do I do? What do I do? He defended and avenged this guy who suffered wrong because he assumed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver him by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses didn't understand either. Moses didn't understand either. Moses, in his mind, he started to think, okay, I need to prove myself as this tough guy. If the Hebrew people are going to follow me, I got to prove myself as a tough guy. 
in order to fight the Egyptians. Maybe, maybe that's what I think. But you see, Moses needed to take time. Moses needed time to be humble. Or I could say to be humbled. That's what's so beautiful about humility. The more humble you are, the more able you are to see and hear. It wasn't by the hand of Moses. It was by the hand of God that his people would be delivered. Remember, Stephen is speaking to the learned class, the very people who should have known these things. In verse 26, and the next day he appeared to, the, to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you, men, and, men, men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? This is a very legitimate question to a real issue that needed correction. In verse 27, but he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? you start to see a picture of the people's hearts. They needed to be humbled too. It was almost, it was almost like all the hearts were like rocks. And these little seeds, they were like bouncing off these rocks. That's why you see these passages in the Old Testament about having a new heart and a new mind, a new spirit. Because our Lord, hallowed be His name, can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of clay. The question is, who is willing? Who is willing? And these are things that can happen the more and more and more that we trust Him. That's what's so beautiful about a love relationship with the Lord. It's not religion. It's not religion at all. It's a love relationship. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? This is, you know, you see, this is the response of the people. Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? So word was starting to spread what Moses did. And Moses was freaked out because if you recall in our study on Wednesday through the book of Exodus, the penalty was death. Whoever killed an Egyptian, it was death. Especially if a Hebrew killed an Egyptian, the penalty was death. And Moses was freaked out, so he fled. In verse 29, then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. Remember, he, he met up with Jethro. His wife was Zipporah, and he has these two sons now. And when, in verse 30, and when 40 years had passed. This is very interesting. So, you know, you see, like in verse 23, he was 40. And now look in verse 30, another 40 years had passed. So Moses was 80 years old. He was an old man. That's what Exodus chapter 7, verse 7 says. That he was 80 years old. You remember what I asked of you? To bind this on your heart and sear it on your mind? Remember Moses? This is 80 years of preparation for Moses. 80 years. 
I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people, young people and old people. And they tell me, I just can't see the hand of God. Where is the Lord? I prayed like this. I prayed this. And where is the Lord? And you know what? Remember Moses. He's an old man. 40 years had passed when this thing came on his heart. And another 40 years passed. And then all of a sudden, look what happens in verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Notice the capital A here. This is a theophany. This is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, a theophany of Jesus Christ. This is what's so cool about reading the Old Testament. Whenever you read the Old Testament, this is my strong suggestion and exhortation. Pray that the Lord show you Jesus Christ. You know, you open up your Bible and you start doing a study through the Old Testament and pray, Lord, show me your son. And when you'll, he'll blow you away. Remember, the things of the Old Testament are a shadow of the things to come. The law points to Jesus Christ. It's not to say, okay, I'm an adherent of the law. That's what the Pharisees said. We're hardcore. We follow Moses. And Jesus Christ was like, how can you? Moses wrote about me. And so all of a sudden, verse 31, when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he draw near to observe, that's the key right here. This is the very key to a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Draw near to observe. Are you willing? These are things that are religious people are blind to this. Religious people, religion cannot save you. The question is, who is the one whose heart is going to come close to the heart of our Lord? And it's from the word. And then all of a sudden have intimacy with him. And draw near to him and observe. And as he drew near, and as he drew near the voice of the Lord came to him. Remember, 80 year old man. And now you have this beautiful, beautiful introduction. Saying. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Put yourself in the shoes of Moses or put yourself in the sandals of Moses. And this voice is saying, I am the God of your fathers. And wait a second, my earthly dad is this guy. His dad is my grandpa, this guy. And the voice of the Lord is saying, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Because there's a different family in the things of faith. We are all descendants of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. And Moses trembled and dared not look. He had the fear of the Lord. That's another key. Reverence for God. Reverence for his holy book. Remember, the word became flesh. Then in verse 33, then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. In verse 34, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. 
I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Remember, 80 years has passed. He's an old man. This early seed, what you see in verse 23, it is now starting to bud. What are those things that the Lord has placed on your heart? What are those little seeds if you take your heart? And I'm not talking about a heart, you know, open the little door. I'm talking about your heart of hearts. Is it a rock where, you know, the Lord, you know, tries to plant a seed and it just bounces right off? Or is it the most tender, tender, soft thing? Where the Lord puts a, plants a seed. And in his timing, in the course of time, the Holy Spirit watering and all of a sudden something starts to bud. That's what the Lord does with Moses. After 80 years. Actually, I should, you know, he was 40 years old when this thing came into his heart. I feel weird saying this thing. But when this plan was put onto his heart, he was 40 years old. And so 40 years had passed. And this early seed is now starting to bud. This is a totally different Moses. Intellectual Moses. Moses in the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of the Egyptians. Mighty in the words and deeds of the Egyptians. Would say, okay, you know, no big, you know, it just, I have this feeling, but it's nothing. No big deal. But no, remember, he's been humbled. All this 40 years, he's been humbled to a point where he starts to understand these things. He's a different Moses. Not only has he been humbled, but he's been taught how to shepherd. What do you mean he's been taught how to shepherd? Well, his beautiful, beautiful wife, Zipporah, was a shepherd. And then all of a sudden, Moses learns how to be a shepherd and he starts taking care of the flock of Jethro. And he's a shepherd. All these things that Moses learned for this great task that the Lord has for him. Sometimes God puts things on your heart that are, you know, they might be intended for now. Which a lot of times people pray, Lord, you know, I want to see your hand and I want to see your hand right now in my life. And so, you know, it's not a bad thing to pray, you know, at least you're praying to the Lord. But remember, it's things are on his time frame, not on mine, not on yours. Sometimes the Lord puts things on your heart that are either intended for now. Sometimes they're intended for 10 years from now. Sometimes they're intended for 20 years, 40 years, 80 years. And sometimes they're for the life to come. His timing is perfect. Perfect. And the Lord in verse 34 is saying, I've seen these things. I have surely seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their groaning. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. You think all this 80 years. Remember when Pharaoh gave the command, kill all the baby boys. Kill all the baby boys. And Moses was among that group. 
But by God's mercy, he was rescued out of that group of boys. And by God's mercy and by God's grace, he was, he was, uh, uh, his worldly mother was the daughter of Pharaoh. And by God's grace and mercy, his mom, his biological mom was able to be his wet nurse. And she, the, the whole time, the Lord was planning things out. And I'll say this to you. What is it that the Lord is planning in your life? You say, I don't know. You know what I say? Wait. Just wait. You might be like Moses. You might be 80 years old. When the Lord speaks to you and says, you know, now is the time. I've been preparing you all this time. And now is the time. In verse 35, remember, Stephen is giving this dissertation to the learned class. The very people who should have known these things. And he's saying in verse 35, this Moses whom they rejected, speaking about Israel. Remember, Israel rejected him, saying, who made you ruler and judge? Who made you ruler and a judge? All these people, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Does that sound familiar? When you make these stands for Jesus Christ, sometimes you have to say nothing. Your friends say, hey, you know, you know, you have these friends, you're in the world and you have these friends and all of a sudden you start to realize maybe these are my friends. They want to go out and do these crazy things, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And you're saying no. And sometimes you need not say a word, but your very actions or inactions speak loud and clear. When the world is going one way and you're standing your ground and you're saying, I'm not going that way. And then they get mad at you. Who made you a ruler and a judge? And Stephen is speaking these things about Moses. Then this Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him. Notice the capital A again. This theophany. In scripture, in our studies through the Old Testament, you see Joseph was rejected. You see Moses was rejected. We see that Jesus was rejected. And now we're about to see that Stephen was rejected too. What about you? What about you? When you stand firmly on the rock of salvation in the truth of Holy Scripture... I have to tell you something about truth. Truth of God's holy word is specifically designed for the remnant church, for the remnant believer. That's what truth is. It's specifically designed for the remnant. Because something happens when you're confronted with truth. You might have all these preconceived notions about whatever. Oh, you know what? I love this guy. Oh, I love this girl. And you know, we're going to go out and get drunk. We're going to go out and get high. We're going to go out and we're going to have sex. We're going to do all these things. And I speak of the big ticket items a lot of the times. And you know, the voice of the serpent, the liar who was a murderer from the beginning, will say, you know, how could a God of love, you know, 
God doesn't want you to have this love. It's not about that at all. The truth of God's holy word is very... He confronts the natural man. He confronts the natural woman. I can tell you, I had all kinds of preconceived notions about what I thought was good. I thought this was right. I thought this was right. I thought this was right. I thought this was okay. All kinds of different things. And then you read scripture. And then the Lord speaks. He gives his opinion. He gives his, you know, hey, this is what I had to say about this. We're the ones who yield to him. And sometimes it hurts. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. Truth is very painful. And if you reject truth, you're not yielding to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But when you accept truth, no matter how painful it is, when you accept truth, you start to realize something happens in your life, in your heart. Truth is specifically designed for the remnant. Rejection is a normal thing. When you understand scripture and you read, you see Joseph was rejected, Moses was rejected, Stephen was rejected. What about when people start to reject you? And all you're doing is standing firmly on the rock of salvation. That's all you're doing. That's all Stephen's doing. In verse 36, he continues in his dissertation, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Full of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. He's teaching the learned class. In verse 36, he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Notice the capital P here. A prophet like me. That's why we look at Exodus and you see Moses as a type of Christ. A prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. Very interesting. Notice this capital A again. Another theophany. Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ with Moses on the mountain. Jesus Christ with Moses in the cloud. What we've been studying on Wednesdays. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke with him on the mountain. Or spoke to him on the mountain. And with our fathers. The one who received the living oracles to give to us. It's so radical. So incredibly radical. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. Intimacy with the word of God. You say, what do you mean it's so radical? Nobody does it. We're preoccupied with all kinds of different things. I'm not trying to say that, you know, earthly responsibilities are a bad thing. I'm not trying to come off that way at all. But don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord in your life. 
Don't forget to spend time with him and have intimacy with him. You start to see Brother Stephen. That's why I've fallen in love with this man so much. He's so beautiful. Because it's, you know, I don't know what his life was like before he came to the Lord. But you remember the disciples, they say, you know what? Choose from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And all of a sudden the church was like, hey, I got this guy in mind, Stephen. There were some other guys. But let's focus on Stephen, just as Holy Scripture does. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They were these, the learned class, the religious establishment, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the truth which he spoke. And he's speaking to the so-called learned class. That's what the Lord does with you. When you have intimacy with him. When you have the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In verse 39, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Verse 39 is huge. I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. But if you have a highlighter, highlight this last sentence. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. This is apostasy. Remember in our study on Wednesday when Moses came down from the mountain, what did he see? He saw the people were worshiping the gods of the surrounding communities, the surrounding peoples. I don't want to get into detail, but, you know, we kind of talked about in detail about what, he, what Moses saw on, on Wednesday. Not good. Apostasy. And notice, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. A lot of times people look at sin. Oh, look at this. You know, there's this adultery. There's this drugs. There's this alcoholism. There's whatever. It's so bad. It's so bad. And yes, it's bad. And yes, it needs repentance. But what about the inception of these things. Everybody says, oh, you know, this guy committed adultery. This woman committed adultery. You know, look, he's, you know, he's, you know, on drugs. He's getting high. He's doing these things. And yes, that's bad. But what about the inception of these things? When the idea came into the, the mind, when the idea came into the heart, that's what verse 39 says. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. You could be right here in church. You could be right here in the pews. You could be right here in the pulpit. But your mind is in Egypt. Your mind is in the world. I've been in men's fellowships before. Men's groups. And a lot of guys, you know, their, their bodies, their physical bodies are in church amongst the congregation, but their minds are on, in strip clubs. Their minds are on their computers where they do their pornography. Their minds are on their drugs where they get their cheap meth and they're doing whatever. What about the inception of sin? There's the act of the sin, which is bad. 
what happens when a heart returns to Egypt? The inception. That's apostasy. Apostasy. Yeah, here we are in the fellowship. We're in the church. But hearts that are going back to Egypt. Oh man, I had it so good when I was in the world. Yeah, the Lord brought me out of Egypt. The Lord brought me out of this situation. But you know what? I kind of like those things. I kind of like the drugs. I kind of like the sex. I kind of like the alcohol. I like the loose living. I don't like all the rules. That's apostasy. And the Lord sees the hearts. He tests the minds. He tests the motives. He says this in verse 40, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. Notice, this is the very act of the sin, what is visibly seen. Because the people said to Aaron, hey, Aaron, make for us these gods. But you know what the sin was before that? They went back to Egypt in their hearts. It's the same game that Satan plays with the church today. That's the same whisper he whispers in my ear and your ear. Man, you know, here you are in church. Here you are reading your Bible. But man, you remember that strip club over there? That was so awesome. You remember when you got high over that one night and it was so fun. You had the, the best fun you had in your life. Or he'll whisper in your ear, wow, look at your friends. They're going out and doing all these things. You look at social media. They're having all this fun. But your parents, look, they have you stuck here. Why don't you go hang out with your friends? Why would anybody go back to Egypt in their hearts? Don't do that. Don't do that. Because here in verse 40, you see the act of the sin. You know, what was the birth of it was in their hearts. They went back to Egypt. Saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. The sin already happened. The sin already happened. Remember, these are God's people that are at the base of Mount Sinai. I say these are God's people, but when we studied in Exodus, you start to see, hey, there were some people that died. It was judgment. People always say, oh, yeah, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I can do this. I can do that. I'm, I can do that. But you read what the Bible teaches us, and the Bible says these things were written in the Old Testament for our warning, for our admonition. Therefore, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I don't want to freak anybody out. But that fact is kind of freaky. It's scary. As for this Moses, the people said, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their in the works of their own hands their works were evil and they rejoiced 
Do you see people? The works of their hands are evil and they're rejoicing. Wow, look how much fun I'm having. You know, I got a needle in my arm. Look how much fun I'm having. Wow, you know, I'm snorting these lines. Look how much fun I'm having. Yeah, I'm in this strip club. Look how much fun I'm having. And they're rejoicing in the work of their own hands. What do I say? Reject those things. What do I say? If you're caught up in those things, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I say? If you're here in church and your mind is there, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Return to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In verse 42, then God turned and gave them up Translates literally as let them go, surrendered them to worship the host of heaven. This is the angelic realm. Every time you read the Bible and you see these angels appear, you'll see people bow down to the angels. God's angels, they always say, hey, don't worship me. I'm a servant. Worship the Lord. That's what God's angels say. You know what Satan's angels say? Worship me. Worship me. It's part and parcel of spiritual warfare. That's how we can identify, you know, demons. You say, what do you mean demons? Oh, the demonic realm is alive and well. Alive and well today. Worship of Satan. Demons, you know, in the last days, you know, the Bible teaches us about what's going to happen in the demonic realm. Influence on people, spiritual warfare. It's no joke. It's coming. I, I shouldn't even say it's coming. It's here. Our pastor in California, he, would always, he was a, uh, one of the chaplains on the LAPD. And he would tell us at times, you know, when, you know, like four or five cops, they would go and arrest somebody, an old woman. You think, oh, yeah, old woman acting crazy. It's easy to put her in handcuffs. Four cops. LAPD are tough guys. And they couldn't put, they couldn't arrest her. They could not arrest her. So they called the chaplains. And then the pastors would come up, a couple, you know, three pastors. And the woman's in her home. Four, you know, big cops couldn't arrest her. You think, you know, all you got to do is put the hands behind the back and you, you know, handcuff. And four cops couldn't do this to this little, little uh, old lady. And she, they knew it was demonic possession because, you know, they, have, they went to the churches and, you know, they would listen to the chaplains. And so they called the chaplains. Our pastor was one of them. And they would go there, a couple pastors roll up, they would park, you know, and tell everybody, hey, you know, clear the area. Clear the area. Because when this demon leaves the lady, the demon is going to look for another vessel. And the demon's going to leave the lady and say, oh, okay, here's this crackhead. Here's this, you know, guy who's strung up on pornography. Here's this guy. And then leave the lady and go into another lady or a guy. So they would tell everybody, hey, clear the area. And then a couple pastors would go in. They would pray. And they would command the demon to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they'd come out of the house, you know, and the lady's in handcuffs. And she'd be like human again. She'd be like crying, you know, because she's no longer under that demonic influence. 
LAPD. A lot of times, people, you talk to churches today, pastors today, elders today, they have no idea anything about spiritual warfare. They themselves are not equipped in the things of the Lord. The things of Holy Scripture being equipped. But you know what's so cool about the last days? And, and you know, I don't mean to say this pridefully. Is that all these doctrines of men, they're going to fail. They're going to fail. I mean, if you're a strong adherent in one doctrine, and in the last days, the, everything is shaking in your life so much, you're like, hey, I believed in this guy so much. You know, I was taught up, I was trained up in this guy so much. But, you know, I believe in It can't support me. It can't support. It fails. It fails in this test. And then all of a sudden to say, hey, you know what? Return to the word and read. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is my rock. Not this rock. This is my rock. And that's what happens here in verse 42. Then God turned them... Turn, then God turned and gave them up or surrendered and let them go to worship the host of heaven. It's the angelic realm. God's angels, they always say, you read the Bible, God's angels say, hey, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm a servant like you. Worship the Lord. Satan's angels, they say, worship me. Bow down before me. Remember, you read Isaiah 14. Satan himself wanted worship. And then the Lord cast them out. Took one third of the angels with them. So where are they? Where are they now? They're alive and well. Roaming the earth. Satan roaming around the earth. Roaming like a lion for whom he may devour. And a bunch of Christians walking around. You know, like they don't have their armor on. They don't have their shields. They don't have their swords. Maybe somebody who is strung up on drugs and, you know, you read what the Lord teaches us about a demon. When a demon leaves, it's like, wow, the Lord freed me. I'm not on drugs anymore. Wow, this is so awesome. But, you know, the Bible says that these spirits are going to come back. More of them, more wicked than himself, are going to come back. And this guy hasn't been trained up to fight, to hold the shield, to hold the sword. Not just hold the sword, but use the sword. And they get overtaken. Like a dog returning to his vomit. These, are, these things are starting to be exposed in these days that we live in. You're starting to see these things happen. And it says, as it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? No offering to the Lord. Or the offerings to the Lord were scant. You also took up the tabernacle of Molech. Or Moloch. When you know sometimes in the Bible you see Moloch and Molech. It's the same God. Same demonic God. The God of abortion. What they used to do. They take the they had this 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 idol and the idol had his hands up like this and there's a big hole in his belly and you take your baby and you put they would like burn it so like the hands they were like burnt like red hot just glowing hot they take the baby and then the baby would burn on these hands the sacrifice of the baby 
Molech, Moloch, the god of abortion. And then you'd have this priest of Moloch would take this big stick and push the baby and the baby would fall on the belly. Worshipping these other gods. God's people, Israel. That's what they did. They would sacrifice their children. You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephan. This is an Egyptian god. And God is saying, hey, this is your God. Because he sees. He sees the hearts. He sees the minds. Just like in verse 39. God's people at the base camp. God's people in, you know, at the base of Mount Sinai. In the congregation of Israel. But look, and in their hearts, they turn back to Egypt. I wonder in a huge church. How many heart? you know, you see all these bodies in a church. But I wonder how many hearts are in a strip club. How many minds are on pornography? How many hearts are, you know, with their drugs, with their alcohol? How many hearts and minds are on their premarital sex? How many hearts and minds are not even in the church? God knows. He sees all these things. Images which you have made to worship and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. It's a time of judgment. These are things that, remember, Stephen is speaking to the council, the Sanhedrin. And, you know, I gave this example a couple weeks ago, but I'll say it again. Say, for example, we're all like, every single one of us here, we're like doctorates at MIT. We have like, Multiple doctorates, master's degree, uh, whatever. You know, we're like brainiacs. And then all of a sudden, this little kid walks in and starts to school us on the things we know, on the things we think we know. That's what's happening with Stephen. <laughs> Giving a firsthand account because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to the learned class. Our fathers, in verse 44, had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Remember, God had gave him the blueprints, what we studied all these times on Wednesday, the past several months. We've been looking at the blueprints. God was giving Moses all the blueprints when Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai. And God was giving him all these blueprints. These are things that Stephen is uttering to the learned class, so-called learned class which our fathers having received it in turn, speaking about the next generation, also brought with Joshua. So like, you know, this is just one verse, but what's happening in, in Exodus and when we get to the book of Joshua, there's a lot of things that happen in between then. But you see, Moses and Joshua were at the mountain. Joshua was here. Moses went a little, a little higher into the cloud. Moses died, and who's the next one to lead the people of God? Joshua. He wasn't a part of that mess that was happening with the multitude. I think that speaks very highly for you and for me. Because where is it that the multitudes go? Where is it that you see the multitudes? But then at the same time, 
Who is the one that's going to be like Moses? Who is the one that's going to be like Joshua and say, yeah, the multitudes, they're doing this, they're doing this, they're doing this, they're doing this. But you know what? I'm not going to play around with that. Don't forget, Moses was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in the words and deeds. He was formerly a partaker of these things. He was formerly well indwelled and, you know, involved in these things. And how the Lord took all this time, years and decades to bring him to this place of humility and say, you know what? Now I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you, Moses. The exact same thing he does to you. And so many times people, oh, you know, they leave home, say they're 18 years old. They leave home and they're like, yeah, you know, I've been praying. I've been praying. No answers. And it's only been like six months. And they're like, okay, God didn't show himself. So I'm not going to, I'm not down with that anymore. So I'm going to go do my crack. I'm going to get drunk like crazy. My friends want to go out and have sex. I'm going to join with them. It's only been six months. What about 40 years like it was with Moses? At what point in time, you know, is are the people of God going to be patient? I hate patience. I'm, I, I, I hate it. It gets me in a lot of trouble because I'm impatient for a lot of things. But God has shown me the error of my ways. I'm still impatient, but, you know, less impatient than I used to be. Learn from my stupidity. Be patient. And wait on the Lord. Oh, it's been six months. I've been praying for six months. I haven't seen anything. Wait a little longer. Five years passed. I've been praying. I, I, I waited five years like you told me. I've been praying. Wait a little bit longer. I've been praying for 10 years and nothing. A little bit longer. And then finally it's like, I have to call you. Hey, what happened? I got my answer. Praise be to the Lord. And we can rejoice together. Praise be to the Lord. The Lord has shown himself. Deeper and deeper and deeper. Just like at a, you know, a papa at a pool. Hey, baby girl, jump into my arms. I'm going to catch you. My son, jump into my arms. I'm going to catch you. You ever see dumb dads, you know, they're, you know, jump into the water. The kid jumps and he like psychs out the kid and the kid. What a stupid, stupid dad. You know, Liz and I have seen these things. What a dumb, these opportunities to teach your child, to love on your child so much. So when your child gets to a certain age, can start to read through the gospel and see, you know, your father loves you. But how much more your father in heaven? And because a dad's love for his daughter, a dad's love for his son is like on cloud nine. And then the child at age 15, 18, 25, and 28, 29, 30 can start to read these things and be like, wow, how much more my father in heaven, what that does to augment their faith. Then you see dads who tease their kids. Oh, I'll catch you, I'll catch you. They jump. Ha, 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 ha. Let me post a video on social media. Ha, 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 ha. What a dumb dad. Stupid, stupid dad. 
the opportunities you can have to instill these things. And it blows me away so much because look at what happens here. In verse 45, which our fathers, having received it in turn, the next generation, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. You see, the next generation, he went from Moses, now he's on Joshua, and then now in verse 47, he's on Solomon now. But Solomon built him a house. Remember, Stephen is schooling the learned class. He's being used by the Lord. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. This is where things start to turn a little bit. Because remember, they're the learned class. Imagine, we're all doctorates in MIT. We all have the doctorates, we have the degrees, we have all our walls look like crazy because it's like, it's like wallpaper, all our degrees. And this little pipsqueak comes walking in and starts to school us on the things we think we know. He starts to school us. And then all of a sudden, he confronts us. We think, okay, God dwells in these temples. And then all of a sudden, this little pipsqueak walks in and says, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. Think about, you know, how our ears would perk up to that. What is he saying now? As the prophet says, he quotes Isaiah. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Now, this is when it gets hardcore in verse 51. Remember, God is not a respecter of persons. And neither is Stephen in delivering this truth. Remember these beautiful, beautiful attributes of Stephen. Full of, you know, good reputation, good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Full of faith and power. And this is what he says to the learned class. And his audience is, I meant like, you know, he's before the religious leaders. He's before the, um, the council, the Sanhedrin. And he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Whoa. Just that sentence alone. You stiff neck translates as obstinate and stubborn. These are the same things that the Lord said to Moses about Israel. These people are stiff necked They are stubborn and obstinate. And he says, Moses, step aside. I'm going to kill these people and I'm going to start fresh with you. And Moses, in his intimacy with the Lord, says, no, Lord, don't do that. Don't do that, Lord. And this is Stephen now saying, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You always oppose the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. This is, you start to see family behaviors can be passed down. And he's telling this to the religious leaders. Hey, as your fathers did, so do you. You ever you hear like parents sometimes, 
moms and dads, they look, you know, hey, you're just like your mom. And it's derogatory. You're just like your mom. Or you hear a lady, you know, you're just like your dad and it's derogatory. But can you imagine, you know, a dad or a mom that, hey, baby girl, you know what? You're just like your mother. And it's like a crown. Like, wow, I'm, I'm like her. Or, you know, to tell a son, you know what, my precious, precious boy, you're just like, you know, you're just like your dad. And for the boy, it's like a crown of joy. I'm like my, you're telling me, I love you so much, you know me, and you're telling me I'm like my dad? But no, a lot of times you start to see it's in the carnal sense. He says, this is what Stephen says, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Nothing new under the sun. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? All these beautiful people, men, women, children. You know, Samuel, he's like a little boy and the Lord is speaking to him. You read the account in 1 Samuel, the, the Holy Spirit was rare in those days, except the Lord was speaking to young Samuel. Young Samuel. The Lord wasn't even speaking to Eli, the high priest. The Lord wasn't speaking to his boys, his sons. But the Lord was speaking to young Samuel. And you read the early passages and it's like, well, it's so powerful because you see Deborah. You know, so beautiful how, you know, she's barren and she prays to the Lord and dumb Eli thought she was drunk. She was praying and Eli thought she was drunk. What are you doing? You're drunk. You're high on something. Get out of here. And she's like, no, no, no. In respect, you know, like I'm not drunk. You know, I'm praying to the Lord. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So to, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the, foretold the coming of the just one. Capital J, capital O. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. All these prophets, they foretold of the coming one, the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers or the traitors and murderers. Spiritual sedition, physical murder, who have rejected the law by the direction of the angels and have not kept it, have not guarded and preserved against this. This is why Paul, he writes, he says, hey, guard your hearts. Protect your minds. Beautiful, beautiful Stephen is speaking to the council, the Sanhedrin, including the high priest. Who speaks to the high priest like this? Stephen does. In the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now look in verse 54. Now it focuses back on the, the religious leaders. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Translates as, they were furious. They were cut to the heart. Who is this little pipsqueak to come and correct me? To correct us? Who is this little pipsqueak? You see, this is pride. Pride. Zero humility. The religious leaders who should have said, you know what? If they were humble in heart. This guy is right. This guy is right. I repent. Not to him, to the Lord. 
Lord, forgive me. I repent. I thought this. I have the doctorates. I have this. I have that. And you know, we did that. We're a part of the council. This guy is right. Pull out the scrolls, roll it out, start to read these things and be like, oh my goodness, what this guy said about this, it aligns with this. Pull out another scroll. He said this. This is what the prophet Isaiah said. It's correct. Wow, he's right. Brethren, we're the ones in the wrong. The same thing happened with Peter a couple chapters ago in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Actually, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. This is Brother Peter now, also filled with the Holy Spirit, is saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Very interesting, because the religious leaders were also cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, humility. I'm cut to the heart. When you're confronted with truth, oh, I'm cut to the heart, I'm cut to the heart. What do I do? Then Peter said to them, repent. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, 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 repent. Genesis to Revelation, what do you see? Repent, 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 repent. Even the red letters in Revelation. Straight up red letters in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. In verse 5, red letters, the Lord says, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Unless you repent. These are letters to the church. Messages to the church. Straight up red letters. Oh, once saved, always saved. You know what? I repented when I was 10 years old. And now I'm a crackhead. I'm having sex like crazy. I go to the strip clubs. I got all these needles in my arms. And look, once saved, always saved. What does the Lord say? I know your works, your labor, and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Repentance. He says the same things in verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14. But a few things I have against you. Because you, ha because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put his stumbling block before the children of Israel. 
to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Very interesting. Sexual immorality. That is huge in the church today. Thus, you also have those who hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I also hate. Repent. Or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent. You see? Verse 21. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I was 10 years old, and I believed, and you know, I repented, and praise be to the Lord, but now I'm having sex like crazy, now I'm a crackhead, now I'm doing this. Oh, but once saved, always saved. You know what I say? Repent. Repent. Stephen's saying the exact same thing. When they heard in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. They were mad. Who is this guy who's going to talk to me like this? Do you know who I am? Who is this guy? But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, he, Stephen has not yet been dragged out to the city. And said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 11, Peter says, you know, so great an entrance it will be. And you start to see, you know, you look up and the clouds open and what Stephen sees. He's about to, you know, the end of his faith. What do you mean the end of his faith? He doesn't need faith anymore. He doesn't need faith to believe because he can see. Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. This is the unity of the wicked. The so-called learned class, so-called the ones who were the messengers of God, the so-called, you know, the standard of God. But no, they were the workers of iniquity. People who stopped their ears, they were blind. And they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city or expelled him out of the city and stoned him. You think stoning is like, yeah, let's throw rocks at this guy. No, it's like. These big, heavy stones. And, you know, we're going to hurl these big stones at him. Imagine getting hit with a stone. You know, one would hurt. The second one would crack a bone, crack your skull. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a pretty picture. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes. So, you know, the witnesses, so like the people... The people, they're in the town, and then all of a sudden, they're like, wow, the, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, you know, they're going to go out and stone this guy. And they, you know, like lemmings. Oh, if they're going to do it, we're going to partake too. And they start to take off their clothes. Because you wear these big robes, and you have like no arm movement. So they take off their robes, and are like, wow, you know, you're like a baseball player, you know. You take like a baseball player in the winter, he's got a big old coat on. And then all of a sudden, he's like, okay, show me your throat, let me see how fast you can pitch. So he takes off his coat. You know, winds up his arm. 
There's no restriction from a big heavy coat. So that's what these people were doing. They were taking off their clothes so they can throw big old stones. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. In Acts chapter 22, verse 20, it says, Paul was Paul is the one who's saying these things, that he was consenting to Stephen's death. You remember our study on Wednesday? The greatest form, the most powerful, powerful form of consent is silence. You know, everybody's going one way. You're a church, you know, you're just a, you're a pastor, you're an elder, you're a deacon, you're a deaconess. You're a teacher of the Bible. People come in, they're having sex like crazy. People come in, they're doing drugs like crazy. People come in, they're getting high. You look on social media, they friend you on Facebook. You look, and the night before they were getting drunk. Silence is consent. So beautiful because he's, I wonder... There's passages when Paul writes in the epistles. When he writes like, you, you kind of see grieving in his heart. And I wonder if he remembers Stephen. Maybe not. You know, he didn't understand these things. You know, when I first read about Stephen, I was so mad. I first read, I was like, why isn't he fighting back? Why aren't the friends in the church why aren't they coming? They take these guys and just beat them up. Why isn't there like a brawl there? And I was so mad. Like, this is so weak. He's not fighting back. His friends are coming. You know, break some necks. They're not fighting. And then all of a sudden, today, I read these things. What a beautiful, beautiful man. Beautiful, beautiful man. Verse 55, verse 59, in closing. And they stoned Stephen. As he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down. He fell to his knees and cried out with a loud voice. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. You know how powerful that is? <clears throat> Jesus Christ uttered the same words. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Moses said the same thing. He says, Lord, Keep their names in your book of life, but take my name out of the book of life. Imploring of the Lord, Lord, don't count this sin on them. Put it on me. Take my name out. Paul says the same thing. He says, I wish that I could be accursed from Christ if my brethren can believe. And Stephen says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Don't hold them on. Don't hold this against them. That's selflessness. That's a complete and total denial of self. Remember that in your walk with the Lord. A complete denial of self so that your care, your compassion is on another person. You say, how could Stephen be compassionate when he's calling these people stiff neck? No, number one, they are stiff neck. But truth always can, it's truth hurts truth is very very painful someone might say something that is corrective and it's like 
You know, it doesn't feel good. And you pray, you read, and you're like, man, Lord, that guy's right. Or, Lord, she's right. Forgive me, Lord. I repent before you. That's called growth. That's called being like Stephen. Having a good witness, being of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom, having faith and power. But we live in a generation today where people, who are, who are you to tell me? Yeah, you know, you saw my social media, I'm on crack, so what? Look at all the likes I have. Look at all the, you know, the, the thumbs up. Look at all the little laughy faces I get. Read my comments. Oh, what's this? You only have 10 friends? Look how popular I am. I have, you know, 2,000 friends. That's the generation that we live in today. I talked to a kid one time. He's like, you know, you can't say that to me. Look at all these followers I have, you know, 10,000 followers. Look at all these friends I have on social media. They're your friends. And in your time of need, you're crying for help. Where are they? Where are your friends? And Stephen, beautiful, beautiful Stephen, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said the, when he had said this, he fell asleep. I can't wait to meet this guy. I cannot wait to meet this man. And just hug him, embrace him, tell him how much I love him. And you know what? In our glorified bodies, we will have this opportunity. And what do I say? Be like Moses. Wait, wait on the Lord. You're going to be, you know, five years are going to pass. Ten years are going to pass. Thirty years are going to pass. You know, I'll be dead, long gone. Say, Man, I've been waiting on the Lord. I've been waiting on the Lord. Well, if you're not 80 years old yet, wait longer. If you do happen to be 80 years old, wait longer. You know, I, I don't, you know, I can't say that. But just wait. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. So we're going to end our study here.